This is the Difference Makers Podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Van Bremer. On this, the June 21st episode, U.S. Congressman for Georgia's 1st District, Buddy Carter, talks about his influences growing up in Savannah and goes in-depth on his evolving views on climate change, sea level rise, and offshore oil and gas exploration and drilling. The Difference Makers Podcast is brought to you by an organization making a major difference in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. organizations and businesses they lead. You might even know their faces, but do you know why they are Difference Makers? This is Difference Makers, a podcast presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority and dedicated to highlighting Savannah's key players and their contributions to our community. Difference Makers hail from several sectors, including commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. I'm Adam Van Bremer, editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Thank you for listening. Our difference maker today is Representative Buddy Carter, 1st District, Coastal Georgia. And it's interesting, Buddy, it's it's hard for me, uh, and these difference makers is have to be a little bit careful with elected officials because you don't want to get involved in campaign cycles and election cycles. And unfortunately, as a U.S. representative in a two-year cycle, you're pretty much almost always in that. I know right now you've already got a a challenger declared for the primary, so campaign season will will start off here quickly. But it's it's we wanted to take this opportunity to really bring you in and talk very specifically about your role in terms of serving in the House committees that are really involved with the climate change crisis or the climate change debate. I guess the the technical term is climate crisis, so that's that's what we use here. But before we dig into that. Uh, as we always do on Difference Makers, we start with some biographical information. I know that y- you've been an elected official here for a long time, and people pretty much know you know you were a pharmacist, and you grew up in Mayor Pooler, and you grew up in West Chatham, and uh, you know, served in the Georgia House, the Georgia Senate, and then on into the U.S. House. But can you take a minute and kind of talk about growing up here and, and what kind of perspective that's giving you over the, over the decades? Well, as you can imagine, um, having grown up here and lived here all my life and with the intention of living here the rest of my life, it's um, quite an honor to represent the the people of this area in the United States Congress and to walk the halls of Congress. And I take it very seriously and I work very hard at it, and as I should. And, uh, you know, it, it's... Um, it's really neat to think back on um, growing up in Port Wentworth and, you know, um, a lot of what we did. My mother worked downtown a, a long time at Levy's Department Store, and I can remember, um, you know, on Saturday mornings going down there with my sister and and going to to the movies at Lucas Theater on Saturday mornings, and, um, and, and that brings back pleasant memories. I can remember us shopping at uh, Bargain Corner on, on Bay Street and driving over the Viaduct at that time and um you know so i I have a lot of great memories um you know i I well respect those who who talk about you know having um childhoods where where they had problems mine was just the opposite and mine was just perfect i mean Mm -hmm. i I, not perfect but um it was certainly a great childhood and i have great memories um you know i went seven years to port worth elementary school went two years to mercer junior high school we didn't call it middle school then we call it junior high and then three years at Groves High School and then went off to school for five years got my pharmacy degree and when I left um, I left the 
the day I turned 18, I left home, and I swore up and down I'd never come back. And the first thing I did when I graduated from college was come back. So. Realized how good you'd had it, huh? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, of course, moved to Pugler in 1980 and have been there ever since and uh, raised three sons there. And, uh, you know, we, my wife and I have been truly blessed. Um, we're members of Wesley Monumental, been there since um, – since 1980, we we um, very active in that church downtown and and uh, Savannah and and this the whole coast is just a big part of my life. And interestingly enough, some of my fondest memories growing up are with my dad going fishing, mm-hmm. and um, especially over in South Carolina because we lived in Port Wentworth. We right. went over to South Carolina more often than than going to Osaba or anything. So we. Um, we went to um, went over to Lemon Island and Chichesi, and that's where we did most of our fishing. Uh, inshore, I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, 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 inshore. What was your specialty, redfish? Well, it, well, Depending on the season. They were redfish. We call them um, spot-tailed spot bass. Spot-tailed bass. <laughs> yeah. okay. I, I never knew they were anything but until I got to, you know went off to school, and people would say, what are you talking about? There are no right. bass in, in salt water. And I said, sure they are. you yeah. never seen a spot-tailed bass? And yeah. said, no, those are redfish. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, six on one hand, half dozen on the other. Yeah. You know, I'm going to digress here and talk a little bit about fishing because this is a funny story. When I first started here at the newspaper in 1999, we had printed a story. Our outdoors writer John Burke, who is still writing for us all these many yeah, years later I on the really outdoors page, his work. yeah, he wrote a piece and it was about dolphin season opening, and we had some. We had some. Uh, we did all our design in house at that time, and we had some new young designers who were from Ohio, from the Midwest. And I'm not knocking Ohio because I am personally from Ohio, but they read that and they put a picture of Flipper with John Burke's <laughs> dolphin fishing column. And you want to talk about chaos? And the phones are ringing off the hook. The beauty of it was, is we obviously we had to run a retraction and a correction. So they put it on the front page, and these designers were just horrified and embarrassed. They did the best thing ever. They In the retraction, they said, dolphin season is open. And then they showed the picture of a dolphin fish, and they said, not this dolphin. And it showed Dan Marino. <laughs> and they said, not this dolphin, and it had flipper, and then it had this dolphin, the dolphin fish. So, yeah, well, you want to call it <laughs> redfish or spot-tailed right. bass or That's dolphin right. or porpoise, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. But, again, I digress. So. Port Wentworth, uh, west side of, of Savannah, right. West Chatham. If any part of this area has changed the most in your lifetime, that's it, right? Can you oh, kind no of put it in context what, what what's happened? It there? has. I mean, what's happened in Pooler has been phenomenal. Um, you know, timing is everything, and I was just very blessed to, to be mayor at that time and, and to, to set the groundwork, if you will, and along with council at that time for what has happened out there. And I'll be quite honest with you. It's even surpassed my expectations. Uh, I never, never thought it would grow this much this fast. Mm-hmm. And and it's a real testament to the work that we did when we were on council and those before us, Jack Surehouse as, as well, he was mayor before me, the work that we did to set the groundwork, but also what the current council has done to continue with it. So i um, been very blessed to, to have good leadership out in that area, and and um, and now we're reaping the, the dividends and, and the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Port Wentworth. I imagine you grew up in what is known as Old Port Wentworth. Absolutely. And now there's Absolutely. two Port Wentworths, right? There are two Port Wentworths, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's kind of sad in a way, but, um, you know, things change, time changes, and, um, and you know, you, you move on. Yeah. I'll, I'll ask you to, to look a little bit south, and obviously the, what's left of West Chatham to develop is, is what I think what we're calling New Hampstead and, mm-hmm. and south of Bloomingdale. Mm-hmm. 
what do you see down there? Do you see any parallels to what you saw growing up and in and in the early days of Poolers? Yeah, you know, I, I would see more um, residential down in that area. I think the commercial was, has been set, and and that's going to be you know at the Pooler Parkway I ninety five um, corridor and 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 down further at the um, I sixteen. Um, Pooler Parkway corridor. Those two, are, I think, are going to be the commercial hubs. But I, I think we'll see more of the residential development out toward Hampstead in that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's shift gears and talk a little bit about environment. I think your fishing story may be a, a good segue to that. And obviously, earlier this year, you were named, and I'm gonna, I wrote it down so I don't get it wrong, the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. You're one of only six Republican members. I looked it up. Four of them are from coastal states. I didn't look to see where the districts were for the other ones, but obviously you're representing the entire Georgia coast in what is considered a probably some of the most the least developed coastal areas in the country. How did it come about that you got appointed to this committee? Well, I requested it. Um, I, I feel like the representative um, for the first congressional district that includes the entire coast of Georgia should be on that committee. Um, you're right. The technical name is climate crisis. I refer to it as climate change. Um, I, I'm not to the point where I would refer to it as crisis yet. But I do believe climate change is real. And I believe that our climate has been changing since day one. And I believe entirely that um, protecting our environment is important and, and should be a priority. I have always said that I'm never going to do any thing that's going to hurt the coast of Georgia. This is my home. It's where I've lived all my life, where I intend to live the rest of my life. I love this area. Um, I'm never going to do anything that's going to hurt this environment. And I do believe there are things that we can do. When we when we address climate change, we need to talk about um, mitigation, adaptation, and innovation. All of those are extremely important. Just to give a couple of examples, um, when you talk about right now, we're in the discussion of, of rebuilding and building the new Tybee Road. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to be very important it is very important we all know that um, four or five times a year that it floods as a result of the spring tides and that tells us we we need to build it up now's the time for us to prepare for that to adapt to what is happening we know that the sea levels are rising and we should adapt to that don't don't build it in, in the same grade it's at now. Build it up. That only makes sense. I give the other example. If you're building a house now, if you build a house on a slab next to the marsh, guess what? It's going to flood at some point. That's why you should build it up. And we actually have grants out there that are available to encourage people to build their houses up. I know there are a lot of existing houses on, on slabs next to the marsh now. I get that. But that's the kind of thing we got to be smarter about it. And when you talk about innovation, I remind you that when I was in the state senate of Georgia, I was one that led the the fight uh, for solar power, and and arguably against one of the most powerful lobbying groups in the state, Georgia Power. Georgia Power uh, eventually embraced solar power and are, are now um, using it extensively. You can and, see it right here off the president. Absolutely, right absolutely. So I'm very proud of that. So it's, this is nothing new for me, I, and and I'm excited about the opportunities that the innovation will bring us because i believe that the greatest innovators the greatest scientists are right here in the united states of america if you look at what we've done in the oil and gas business i mean we i can remember back i'm old enough to remember back to the 70s when the middle east literally had us over a barrel with oil well through innovation look at what we've done now we are producing oil to the point where we're exporting oil now we're natural gas 
is, is abundant here as a result of innovation in our gas and oil exploration. We, we now have where we can produce it. Right here in Savannah, Elba Island is changing from an import facility to an export facility for LNG. I talked to someone with their their plant yesterday telling me that, you know, it's going to be about a month or so before they start exporting product. I've had the opportunity to travel to Europe, and I see where they are now changing their ports to become import Mm -hmm. for natural gas. Those will be markets for us. That, to me, is, is the kind of opportunity that exists for us. And, and when we talk about innovation, again, um, you know, on the committee that I serve on, the Energy and Commerce Committee, and, oh, by the way, I serve on the Environment Subcommittee as well, mm-hmm. that is where the reports from the Select Committee on Climate Change will go to. It'll, they'll, they'll go to the Committee of Jurisdiction, which will be the Environment Subcommittee of Energy and Commerce. Mm-hmm. So it'll come right back to us. And, you know, I've, I've traveled to Europe and I've seen what um, what is happening there. I had a trip just recently where, you know, we're, we're seeing what's going on with the autonomous vehicles, electrical vehicles. We visited one place that um, was really amazing where they are actually putting chargers, if you will, into the roadway mm-hmm. at 50 meter lengths so right. that electric cars can actually have a boost without stopping. For that length of time, they can boost their batteries. <laughs> It really is amazing what's happening out there. I want to back up because you you, you you got ahead of me. There. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I want to back up. So House Energy and Commerce Committee and the Environmental Subcommittee, how long have you been on that? This is my second term on it. Second um, term. Okay, so that's it, that's an old. You know, you know I, I really, that's the committee I want to be on. First of all, it is the committee in the House, and I do mean that. It is um, it's the oldest, most diverse Two-thirds of all the legislation that went through the 115th Congress came through our committee, mm-hmm. and, and we have jurisdiction over everything, energy, commerce, telecommunications, health care, mm-hmm. and that's primarily why I wanted that's to be That's what on. your initial link exactly, was. Exactly, okay. exactly, and I am on the health subcommittee, and as I should be. Mm-hmm. Um, being the only pharmacist serving in Congress right now, my expertise is, is being used there with prescription drug pricing, with the opioid epidemic, mm-hmm. all of those things I'm intricately involved in, and I should be. So I serve on that committee, and, um, you know, it's funny. I wanted to be on that committee when I first got there, and I, I'll never forget. I, I practiced so hard my speech, and I, I had it down pat. And, I mean, I went into the chairman's office. I sat down with him, and I, I nailed it. I mean, I got – I raised my voice when I should have, and I emphasized everything. And he just sat there, and he looked at me, and he shook his head, and he says, not going to be any freshmen on this committee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so disappointed. But, <laughs> but I kept at it, and I was um, very you fortunate to get on it. Yeah. <laughs> you got his attention. That's, That's right. Really was That's the... right. And now I'm on it, and um, I'm very, very happy to be on it. And how do you then get on an environmental subcommittee? <clears throat> is that something you petition for as well? Well, um, I Process, really wanted to be. I is, yeah, yeah I wanted to be on the health subcommittee, and um, and then I was placed on the environment subcommittee. So, and and again, you know, it makes sense for the representative of the entire right. coast of Georgia. Right. I mean, that's that's where you ought to be. Right. So how was the was it like drinking from a fire hose when they put you on the environment? Because obviously with the health you have the background there, right? The right. environmental subcommittee was it? A, a yes, steep learning curve. It was a steep learning curve, and um, and still is in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I, I've learned a tremendous amount. I, I'm going to tell you, you know, that's the one thing about about Congress is it's like being in school again. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you've got a committee hearing and you're going to be on national TV, albeit C-SPAN, I don't know how many people watch that's these, but TV. but you More know, than you think you well, and you got to be prepared. Yeah. I mean, you have to do your homework, and you're you don't want to embarrass yourself, and you mm-hmm. certainly 
certainly don't want to embarrass your district. district right. So you have to do your homework and you have to study on the and really understand the subject matter so that you're asking intelligent questions. Mm-hmm. So that connection with the Energy Committee and the Environmental Subcommittee, I imagine probably had give you a little bit of, of leverage or a little bit of pull when you went and asked to be to get on the, the Climate Crisis Committee. Obviously, the Democrats are in charge now, so you're petitioning the other side. What was that process like, and how much lobbying did you have to do? Well, um, the Republican leader chooses um, who's going to be on the committee. Oh, so he and, could choose six. Yeah, okay. yeah he, he got to choose six, and I, I appealed to him, and my appeal was based on, look, I represent the entire coast of Georgia. This is important to us, mm-hmm. and, and and I want to make sure that our voice is heard. And I, I've heard it, too. As you know, um, I sent a letter to the Interior Department asking them to hold off on the offshore drilling. I, I still believe that um, you know we ought to be looking at, at all of the above energy strategies Strategy, and I still mm-hmm. believe that fossil fuels are going to play an important part into the future until we reach the point where we can go without them. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, I, I just appeal to the to the minority leader that um, you know I, I feel like my district needs to be represented here. Mm-hmm. So you get on that. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of material out there, including the the National Climate Assessment. Are you just is, is that your bedtime reading? How much? <laughs> we talked about a steep learning curve earlier. Was it even yes. steeper with this? It, it is. Uh, and let me tell you, there is a lot of information out there and a lot of information that goes both ways out there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm very proud of the progress that we've made in America. That's not to say that we don't need to make more. Surely we do. I, I mentioned before adaptation, mitigation, um, innovation. We, we need to pursue all that. But um there are things that we need to do. You can look at the um, the the carbon output here recently has increased. So if you say, well, why has that happened? It's because our economy is doing so well. Mm-hmm. Our economy has done so well, thanks to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act primarily, but our economy is doing so well that, um, yes, we've had an increase in in carbon output. And that shows you that industry does have an impact on our environment, and we need to address that. And that's extremely important. But how do you do it? I mean, I've been out to um, to Houston and and seen some of the the work that they're doing out there with the carbon capture. And and it's amazing what they're doing out there. And, you know, there are things that are, are going on out there, as I mentioned earlier, the greatest innovators in the world right here in America. So I'm very excited about what what's going to happen here. I am not a, I do not subscribe to the Green New Deal. You know, I, I think that that is pie in the sky. I think it encompasses way too much, um, and that is another reason why I wanted to be on the committee because we need to have balance, mm-hmm. and, and we need to bring sensible, rational, reasonable solutions to this, and they they are there. And that is really the trick here, right? I mean, we can sit there, and I'm I'm with you a little bit on the Green New Deal, and say, whoa, I mean, that's that's pretty drastic. Right. But at the same time, we also have seen some cuts to some of the environmental regulations. So where are we going to find that middle ground? And from what you've learned, at least thus far, what are some of the – and let's focus on, on greenhouse gases and carbon at this point. What are some of the solutions, some of the possible avenues we could explore to, to curb those or at least keep them from – growing exponentially well some of the things that we can do um, obviously through innovation and you know solar power wind power now i've had the opportunity as i mentioned to to visit over in europe and see what they're doing wind power is really taking off over there 
we went to um, to a port in in Antwerp in Belgium, and I'm telling you, they their wind and the the wind power over there is just used tremendously. And quite often, you'll you even in the port area, you see all these these wind tunnels and our wind towers and mm-hmm. all over the place so you know that's something else we need to look at and and then the solar power we see improvement in that um, we see LNG which is is not totally clean but it is it, it is um, cleaner than, mm-hmm. than certainly coal but if you look at what's being done with coal now they've cleaned it up tremendously mm-hmm. so there are a lot of ways that we can address this without destroying our economy Mm -hmm. the green new deal will destroy our economy Mm -hmm. not only will it cost 93 trillion dollars but it will essentially destroy our economy and we don't nobody wants that we Mm -hmm. all understand that so again reasonable rational things that we can do they're out there and and there is a middle ground here and there is a way that and we're going to protect our environment we'll get back to buddy in a moment right after we talk about a real difference maker in our area, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to Savannah or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of your propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. main partners in in doing that of course are going to be the energy companies and i think if we watch cv we see they'll throw an ad up talking about and you know, they're growing this algae that's going to provide energy and they're going to do this it's going to provide energy and there's a lot of people that are a little bit dubious of that you obviously have had you have relationships with with some of these companies some of these people how serious are they about it and are they really the one aren't they really the ones that are going to tote the water on this whole thing absolutely and that's what i view our role in government to be is to encourage them and incentivize them to do just that because look they've got skin in the game if you will my staff always tells me don't use that phrase but i i think it's a great phrase i mean they are the ones you know (laughs) look the the oil and gas companies are the ones who stand most to lose if we go away from fossil fuels so how are they going to replace that or how are they going to make their products even cleaner so that they're not harming our environment and not only that we have to look you know this this is a global change and we have to be concerned about what's going on in other countries as well Mm -hmm. we know that 20 percent of all the pollution in california comes from china Mm -hmm. you know we've got to address that we had the opportunity on the climate change committee to meet with the mayor of los angeles Mm -hmm. and we talked to him and and, you know i have learned so much through this i didn't realize but they were talking about in los angeles what they're doing you know you have a cool deck on a pool mm-hmm. that's a different kind of, of cover coating mm-hmm. but they're doing that in roads now in okay. the city they're having they're actually having some type of asphalt that is actually cooler mm-hmm. and and it helps bring down the temperature within the city mm-hmm. you know innovative things like that that makes sense mm-hmm. how do you pay for all those things where do you get to the point where you know it is affordable to influence china and india though we've got to kind of put our best foot forward right i mean whether it it might be pie in the sky to think that we can influence them, but America has always been the country that, as, as you said, has kind of led the way. Do we need to really step up the example that we're setting 
in terms of these things in order to really make a difference globally? We do, and I feel like we have. In fact, um, I had a graph that, that um, obviously can't see it, but, um, you know, since 1973, we have actually decreased the amount of air pollution that um, we've been putting into the environment by 73%, whereas we've grown our economy by almost two, our gross domestic product has grown almost 262%. So we have made progress. This is something we don't talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. But you're exactly right. It's not going to do us any good to to only pay attention to our environment here because we're impacted by what goes on in other countries as well. That's why we got to hold China accountable. Mm-hmm. China is making some progress, but they're not making it fast enough. And they're not making enough of it. Mm-hmm. And India is another example. You know, you talk about the the ocean, about the trash in the ocean. We know that um, what is it? Ninety percent of the trash in the ocean comes from seven rivers, and it, that, those are things that we have to address on a global scale. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier incentivizing private companies to do some things. I know that you, you've been reluctant in terms of a carbon tax. I know that's a very difficult thing. There's also other incentives that could be introduced in terms of, of renewables. What are some of those avenues that could be taken and are they already being taken and what more can we do? Well, there are a lot that are already being taken. You know, there are tax incentives out there that um, encourage companies to to move toward more clean and renewable energy sources, and we will continue with those and and hopefully incentivize those companies and encourage them. Um, you know, a lot of it will be just on the private market. I mean, I, again, I think it's a tremendous opportunity for for companies here in America to really capitalize on this, if you will. Just the example I gave a little while ago about Elbow Island, you know, instead mm-hmm. of being an export or an import, an import facility right. now, they've changed to an export facility. And, you know, they're still here with us. And now all those jobs that have been created while they've changed that plant over, you know, those have benefited all of us. Mm-hmm. Let's talk in particular about, about where you stand at this point. I know that uh, a lot of people looked at some of the things that have happened this year as a, as a, as a major shift for you. And I want to give you a an opportunity to kind of maybe unpack that a little bit and talk about where you were and where you are and right. in terms of your, your outlook on, on these issues. You know, I, I don't really look at it as much of a, of a major shift, but at the same time, yes, I have um, sent a letter to the Interior Department asking them to, to look at offshore drilling and, and not to move forward until they uh, address the issues that have been expressed by the General Assembly. Mm-hmm. Um, I take those resolutions that come from the General Assembly very seriously. I know there are a number of municipalities and county governments that have also expressed concern about offshore drilling. Let's face it. When people think of offshore drilling now, they think about the tragedy yeah, the, that happened in the deep water deep horizon, water horizon right. that happened in the Gulf in, in the Gulf of Mexico, and and they see the they saw the picture on their TV for months of oil gushing out of the ground, and and that's what they think of. Well, you know, the the companies arguably have done a, a good job of making sure that doesn't happen again, but nevertheless, perception is reality, and the reality is the people on the coast have expressed a concern about it and look that voting card has my picture on it but it belongs to people with the first congressional district Mm -hmm. and i have to represent them and i'm going to represent them and Mm -hmm. 
until their concerns are met. Um, as you know, I got very upset with uh, the Department of Interior whenever they wouldn't hold a public hearing here in Savannah. Instead, they held it in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Now, it's just utterly ridiculous. I mean, why would you hold it in Atlanta? Why wouldn't you be down here on the coast to hear the concerns of the people who are going to be directly impacted with it? Mm-hmm. So until that, in, until we can get our our concerns met, then I, you know I don't want them to move forward with it. What made the General Assembly's resolution the tipping point for you? Because I mean, it was out there last year; it didn't get passed. And the last year, you've heard from uh, at one point I, I can't tell you the number; it was at least a dozen municipalities, sure. including your own. And Pooler was one of the latest one. What took so long, and what about the General Assembly's putting its foot down and the governor backing it really swayed you? Well, it passed. Um, before it was introduced and and didn't pass, but this time it did pass, and you know the governor has expressed his concerns with it. And again, um, I, I just I, I just reached a point where I felt like you know the people of this district deserve to have their questions answered and their concerns addressed before we move forward with this. Mm-hmm. What are some of the uh, aside from the offshore exploration? What are some of the the climate? things that uh, sea level rise obviously is a big one mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. where what have you learned about that where are we about that obviously the sensors are going in in some key points out here where's that headed right well the, the sensors that's a I'm, i appreciate you bringing that up because that is a great project that will help us measure how much the sea rise the sea is rising and how quickly it is rising and that's certainly something we need to be concerned with uh, you know, I, I mentioned that I I plan and intend to uh, live here the rest of my life, and and hopefully it'll be in Pooler. I don't want to have oceanfront property in Pooler. But I don't know <laughs> <laughs> how much property do you own. <laughs> but uh, and I don't think that's going to happen. I, but nevertheless, um, you know, the point is is that the University of Georgia and Georgia Tech, Georgia Southern, all of those are doing some outstanding projects. The University of Georgia has a project right now talking about marsh and and how we can make sure we're protecting our marsh and actually expanding our marsh. That's very important. You know, I believe it's uh, a third of all the marsh in the world is right here on the coast Mm -hmm. of Georgia. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. I mean, we got to protect that. We got to make sure. And that's why I applaud what's going on at the University of Georgia as far as the research goes. And then the sensors that you mentioned, those those are the types of, of projects that we need to be undertaking. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a sustainable um, a sustainable position for us to just ignore this. Uh, I'm not a climate denier. I know there are some, and even some in my own party. And I, I'm, you know, whereas I, I understand that the climate has been changing since day one. If you look back, you'll look in the early 70s. We were afraid it was getting cold again. You know, we're afraid we have another ice, ice age. age yeah. yeah. Well, you know, at the same time, I just don't believe that's a sustainable uh, position for us to be in. We we have to acknowledge that this is real and that we need to address it. Um, you know, the sky's not falling. I don't believe that we're going to, you know, that in 12 years it's going to be all over with. But at the same time, I think it would be irresponsible of us not to do the things, the reasonable, rational things that we can do to, to protect against this. The other piece in terms of the ocean for us is the importance of the port. Of course, we're we're nearing the end of the dredging to deepen the port. They're putting in the the oxygen. I'm gonna butcher it, but they're right. They're trying to kind of offset the the amount of seawater that's coming up the river. How much from a climate when you're sitting in a climate meeting is is the importance of the port, the growth of the port, 
how does that all fit into it and how important is that to the to the bigger discussion at least from our perspective well there's no question about it. that port is our future you know it's the economic engine not only of the, of our area in the southeast united states and that port reaches up the influence of that port reaches all the way up into the ohio valley I, you know we're we're very fortunate that we're going to hopefully finish up this project the, the harbor deepening in 2021 2022 at the very latest and we get funding as we did this year if we get full funding next year that should remain the target the number of jobs that the, the ripple effect that that has is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's extremely important, and it's going to be important. And, and I applaud the Georgia Ports and particularly their board for, for their concern and their attention to the environment. I think they've done a lot of things to, to help with the environment and make sure. Obviously, they're going to have some impact on the environment, but they have really paid close attention to make sure that they are not harming the environment as well. One thing you touched on earlier, and I, I forgot to, to hop in, was you talked about mitigation in terms of the flooding and the FEMA mm-hmm. grants. And it, I've found it very interesting that we've had two hurricanes that have caused some flooding on Tybee Island. And yet you drive down the Halloween Street, the Trick or Treat Street, Lewis Avenue out at Tybee, and you see people building back on the ground. And obviously, property rights are pretty sacred in this, in this country. But when you see stuff like that, you you got to wince a little bit at what and, – and Lewis Avenue isn't exclusive. This this all over the country in terms of, right. of flooding and, and sea level rise. What can be done from a governmental – should things be done from a governmental level to discourage that kind of thing? I will tell you that I believe they should. Now, I – you know, you can check my record. I believe in private property rights, you know, eminent domain. I was – I was adamantly opposed to it and continue to be opposed to it because I believe in private property rights. But at the same time, I'm also uh, a federal representative concerned about uh, our spending, concerned about our, our, our debt. And, you know, FEMA has bought some of these properties two or three times. Mm. We got to stop doing that. I mean, you know, there is no excuse why we should be buying some of these properties two or three times. Or I mean, stipulate that if you are going to build on it, you have to come twelve. That's or exactly right. We even and sell it to you. That's exactly right. I, and you know, Tybee Island, I believe, and and it's not just the federal government who can who can take care of these type of things or address these type of issues. It's also the local governments and the county governments who can address them. You know, Tybee Island saying that if you if you have to make over fifty percent of the value of your home in repairs, you got to raise it. Mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier that we've got grants out there that will assist people in raising their homes as well. So, you know, adapting to what is happening is going to be very important. And this is nothing new. This adaptation has been going on since the beginning of time. We can actually show where there were tribes of people who moved from the lowlands up into the highlands when the temperatures started to rise because it was cooler up there. Mm-hmm. And and that's way back when. I've got a friend that, that had a house out of Tybee in Spanish Hammock. And I can't remember which hurricane it was, but I went out there because he said, yeah, we got to tear all of this stuff out. So I went out there and the water had receded. And you walk in the house and, yeah, you could tell there had been some water in there, but it wasn't like the ultimate devastation. And I went into the kitchen and we were going to rip out all the cabinetry. And I pulled out a drawer that was about waist height. Seawater comes sloshing out of that drawer. And he's done that twice now. And he rebuilt it again and, and he since sold it. But... Exactly. He sold it to somebody, and and it's still flood-prone. Exactly. And that's the stuff where I sit there and and kind of slap my own 
slap my own forehead on on these kind of things. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, it probably make you flinch, but uh, <laughs> the whole idea of there's there's some voting groups out there, whether it's the NRA or whatever, that keeps a scorecard. Mm-hmm. And the League of Conservation Voters had not scored you very well prior to earlier this year. I think you finally <laughs> did. Got, I even score? I, I think I think the score was a goose egg. <laughs> but uh, you know, you did get a a pro environmental vote with the what was it, the National Resources Management Act. Obviously, you believed in that act, but when you saw that that was considered pro-environmental, did you do a, a little victory lap? Or what the- <laughs> no. Listen, the only scorecard that matters to me is the first congressional district scorecard. Um, you know, I know it, it, it sounds um, cheesy or whatever, but um, I do take this job very seriously, and, and I work very hard at it, and I do believe that that voting card, even though it has my picture on it, belongs to people of the first congressional district. I'm honored to serve in this in this, in, in this office. Um, you know, G. Elliott Hagan, um, Bogan. Um, Lindsey Thomas, Jack Kingston, and and now me, and I just feel like um, you know I have a big responsibility here, and I take it very seriously. So, it's not about scorecards. It's not about any of these groups. It's about the first congressional district. Well, buddy, thanks. It's always good to have you visiting with us, and I appreciate you being so so candid and taking the time to to answer some questions. I'm sure have been lingering on some folks' minds, and now they can just go on the internet and and hear it in your own words. Thanks very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let me thank Representative Buddy Carter for sharing his insights on today's Difference Makers. We also appreciate our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority, a difference-making group in our community. Listen to new and archived episodes of Difference Makers wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Recent Difference Maker guests include Savannah Regional Film Commissioner Beth Nelson and James Beard Award-winning chef Mashama Bailey. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Thank you for listening.